Moeller, and this is Anatomy of Change, a podcast series about the struggle and connection in making courageous change in the systems and structures that thread our lives. On this episode, it's the feedback I didn't know I needed to hear. Romeo and I reflect on January 6th and discuss events and triggers that stoked acceptance of untruths and polarization in and between parties. As attention is focused on President Trump, Trumpism, and the Republican Party leaders for accountability, he has something to share for the left. Perhaps it uncovers an echo chamber hiding in plain sight. You're actually going to light uh, a match under a Tinder box. If you're telling someone day in, day out, you know, that they're the candidate they voted for uh, is a Russian stooge, um, how do you think they're going to take that? So, you know, they're basically going to become more radicalized and they're going to become more angry uh, and they're going to become more ready to, to do mayhem. There is impeachment underway, obviously. So, if the message is that we should trust that process of impeachment, mm-hmm. you know, it follows from that that we should also f- trust the outcome of that process, whatever mm-hmm. that is. For me, the much more important question is how we got here. And maybe it's good to revisit <laughs> the last four years of this Trump administration. And basically, where we are and w- what happened, that is, causing all this, um, again, rhetoric about incitement and contesting elections and democratic outcomes and this and that. I mean, we probably should remember that uh, four years ago, the Democratic Party did exactly that. We had three years three full years of media challenging indirectly the legitimacy of the Trump administration uh, by basically yelling Russia left and right um, and how Trump benefited from that and how there was direct connections between Trump and, you know, the Putin regime and everything else. You know, I mean, all you have to do is go online and look up clips from that period and you will see there was no... That's true. But his actions didn't oh, no, help. No, sure, sure. But uh, we're, we're not talking about that now. We're, we're talking about how, how we got here, right? So so basically what happened, the Democratic Party established a precedent because, you know, they were the one driving this conversation. They were the one driving uh, the media campaign and they were the one driving the impeachment the first time around. Um, so they basically did everything in their power to challenge the legitimacy of the Trump administration, you know, with in my mind, the goal of uh, stopping Trump from uh, winning a second mandate. I mean, you know, first mandate, water under the bridge, done deal, uh, nothing could be done about it, short of proving uh, gross uh, interference in the elections, which they weren't able to, like I said, because if they did, we know (laughs) that election would have been uh, overturned. And so, leaning into what Romeo was sharing with me, We went back to 2016, and he was right. Articles in major news media had headlines like this. 
Hillary Clinton, Trump is an illegitimate president. Jimmy Carter says he sees Trump as an illegitimate president. Jaron Nadler, Trump election illegitimate, won't attend the inauguration. There is a saying that I am sure everybody's familiar with, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Um, so if, <laughs> if a political party in the United States spent most of the last four years challenging uh, you know, the legitimacy of, uh, of the prior election and weaponizing their links to mass media and basically saturating media channels with that message for three years in a row, how is it that we expect that uh, the people that are on the other side of the fence, you know, are uh, gonna are going to react any different? Uh, so the problem that we're having is that these things create precedents. When you create a precedent like that, you expect that, you know, sooner or later, you're going to deal with uh, some kind of uh, fallout or some kind of um, pushback or some kind of um, blowback, really. Are you saying that you believe that was the largest or the biggest driver for why we have this provocation? Because I look at the last four years, and I, I'm going to marinate on what you said, because the years even before he was president to say elections are rigged. He said that before he was even elected in 2016. And I remember I may have shared this with you, but I was in Romania the eve of the election. And he said something like, if he doesn't win, the election is rigged. He said some pretty inflammatory, crazy things. Yeah, no, no disagreement from me that uh, there was a lot of inflammatory comments and statements. And clearly, you know, there are parts of the society that can interpret those in a bad way, right? To me, this is the number one question I would ask. What was the purpose of the Russia, uh, relentless Russia message? Who benefits and how they benefit from, from that message? So here, it was all about the legitimizing the Trump administration. You know, and if they could do that indirectly through these headlines and through these attacks, by doing that, the left opened the door for the same to be done you know, in return by the right. Um, and uh, it's a very dangerous time because now you have, you, there's basically, there's a gates of health has opened, uh, you could say, right? And there, there's no, there's no uh, stopping back, you know, like the Pandora's box is open now. That certainly played a part, but I think it's a smaller part to what was happening with the telegraphing of the release of emails and the statements and actions being made by now President Trump and his sidekicks. And so it was very suspicious. Like they led us, if we are the mystery gang, it wouldn't be Scooby-Doo could find it. You know, like it was, you wouldn't act that way if, you know, normalcy wasn't there. I also think Social media has grown up. It's no longer the teenager. It's moved out of the house. It's in college. And it's learning how to be a grown-up. We were exposed. Probably we may have to agree to disagree on the importance of that uh, Russia investigation. Yeah. Because you have to remember, I am not a participant in the uh, U.S. 
a political process. So my, my views are completely mm-hmm. independent of this left versus right uh, divide or, you know, allegiances or uh, loyalties, right? It's not about that. It's just looking from the outside when you put out uh, a message through your media channels that aims to predetermine, you know, the outcome of an investigation and to color it in the way that you, you know, you, you want it to be taken by the people, that absolutely is propaganda. What's going to happen is that you're actually going to light uh, a match under a tinderbox. With that message and that kind of propaganda uh, being uh, uh, disseminated, you have now effectively alienated um, the amount of Trump voters from the first time around, which was, what, 64 million something, I believe, right? If you're telling someone day in, day out, you know, that they're the candidate they voted for uh, is a Russian stooge, how do you think they're going to take that? You know, they're basically going to become more radicalized and they're going to become more angry uh, and they're going to become more ready to, to do mayhem. What are the different pieces that have fed the soup that we are in? And certainly you make a good point. When you say that process created more polarization, I, I agree with you. The, there has been uh, something that on the left, again, has been weaponized. Heckling and harassing and haranguing people of a different political affiliation or or political uh, leanings. Uh, Maxine Waters calling on supporters to confront and harass members of the Trump administration. That was something that sort of legitimized this kind of uh, uh, behavior where uh, it's okay to harass and, you know, uh, harangue people that that you don't agree with uh, politically, right? So we now have the right doing exactly the same thing, um, you know, uh, uh, and that's polarization that the society doesn't need. But do you think the president of the United States, you have his communications people and the people around him, I mean, you have Charlottesville and white supremacists in Charlottesville. You know, when it would be so easy for him to denounce white supremacists and racism plays these mixed messages. And it's because your audience has that fraction. So, you know, Proud Boys and all of these Mm -hmm. things. And I just, I wonder, I can hear you and I can meet you to say these things fed where we are, but it's not the only only thing. So, and I never said that, right? I would agree that Trump was playing to uh, his base, whatever the faction was in that base. So um, what you described is the radical right, Mm -hmm. which has these factions of white supremacists and, you know, uh, whatever. Um, So he didn't want to exclude those supporters from his base, and then he kept on with the mixed messages. So no argument there. But if we're talking about this, let's talk about the radical left too. The radical left, which is Antifa and Black Lives Matter burning down to the ground, buildings and, you know, very violent demonstrations uh, that were whitewashed by the media and, moreover, you know, weren't condemned by the left uh, politics either. All politicians are self-serving like that. 
Biden certainly had opportunities to condemn those kind of uh, violence on the left, and he didn't do it either, because again... I think he did. No, no, he didn't. I think he did condemn uh, it. Well, maybe you will have to show me when he condemned that. Okay. And so to the question, if now President Biden has condemned Antifa, what we should be looking for is if he has condemned it by name. We can find examples of him condemning violence no matter who it is. But what is more difficult to find is him calling out Antifa by name. It may seem like a nuance where the interviewer presents the word Antifa instead of him. But this is what we should be looking for. If you're asking Trump to condemn Proud Boys and, you know, uh, call out violence uh, and white supremacism by name, then uh, the same demands has to be done uh, on the left side. Uh, For me, it is only when people can have a normal conversation about these things and can discuss based on the facts on the table and not with emotions in the way, but, you know, just recognizing that um, there are bad actors on both sides and there will always be. This is the the bell curve, you know, uh, principle where we always have uh, like a center uh, of the bell, which is most of the people. And then you have outliers to the left and to the right. So if you call out the outliers on the right, you have to call out the outliers on the left too. You're going to have people that are happy to to demonstrate peacefully. And, you know, they have a voice and they want to be heard. And that is what I call, you know, uh, activists from the inside. But then you will have these minorities of activists on the outside that consider that uh, you know, in, in the pursuit of their cause, uh, they are justified in going to the extremes. And, and sometimes, guess what? They, they are. Uh, and even in history, some things have been uh, regarded when, when they first started or, uh, you know, events that they first occurred, uh, they were regarded as uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, very bad things. But think about it. What if actually there would have been more uh, major or more widespread support for that type of movement uh, that was not uh, known or not visible. And uh, in fact, uh, a lot of people, uh, you know, uh, the majority of the people in the United States would have thought that the political process and the political representatives that uh, are there are no longer representative for, for the people. Then they would have been uh, they would have been uh, in their rights to do that, right? And again, I'm not saying that that's what happened. but I'm- What you just said, I think about the people that did storm the Capitol. Because I've been trying to think about what were they thinking? Felt compelled based on being, you know, the words that in what they heard was, it's time. And given sort of the chatter before the event was Stop the Steal, they had this belief, but in their mind of why they did it, and some of them former military, I really believe that they believe that. And even in my Facebook feed, I found after the storming of the Capitol, there are people that are buying in to the QAnon conspiracies and posting the black chess piece So going back to the people that stormed the Capitol, in their minds, they felt that they were protecting, they were patriots, and they were protecting us from going into some sort of rapture. If we really want 
to bring down the heat on this, what do we have to understand better? We have to understand each other better and we have to stop uh, with the radical messages and we have to stop with the demonization of the others. And it should be acknowledged that it's okay to have different beliefs. Uh, And in fact, sometimes those beliefs are are going to be extreme and they're, they're going to be like that on, on the left and on the right. Uh, and the answer is not to smother down uh, those beliefs or, or eliminate those people, uh, you know, out of the public uh, arena or, of the, or out of uh, the light. And that's not the answer. The answer is to simply go ahead as a society and demonstrate to those extremes that they are wrong. I want to go there with you because I think this is leading into what does that do when we close off voices. But before we leave there, you know when we talked about blunt versus insidious propaganda? I've been thinking about that a lot. You said that the West has not really developed skills in your perspective around reading between the lines of this propaganda. And you were exposed to blunt forms of propaganda. Americans, for example, have been exposed to more insidious where there's truth inweaved in that. For me, I feel like we have now entered blunt propaganda. Um, I think you're right about the fact that we have moved uh, into a phase where this type of um, untruths can take hold. And again, Mm -hmm. it's something that happens on both sides. (laughs) Uh, uh, But... Can we ask ourselves, how did we get here? Why is it possible that this type of blatant, you know, uh, falsehoods can even take hold in people's minds? And and the answer yeah. is, again, because of the extreme polarization. The polarization will bring with it sort of a fence or a mental block that people are going to raise to any arguments that is not coming from within their thought bubble. So then the only criteria that people use to determine, you know, how trustful a statement is, is not, no longer based on facts, it's no longer based on, you know, an exchange of ideas, it's no longer based on a conversation where I can change my mind if you use the right arguments to me. It's literally mm-hmm. only based on who is making that statement. If, if it's the statement is coming from someone in my thought bubble, then I will accept it. I will not challenge it further. Uh, and if uh, it's coming from outside of my bubble, from, you know, the opposite end, uh, from my opponent, so to speak, right? I'm not even mm-hmm. going to bother to challenge it. I'm actually going to discard it right away. So, 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 so yeah. this, this is what happens here. We have created the conditions for this type of blunt uh, untruths to take hold. And and Mm -hmm. if we want to address this, uh, let me be clear. The solution is not to play whack-a-mole with the untruths where (laughs) we find them. Okay? Because that's a losing game and it's a losing proposition. Okay? So uh, it's not possible really to smother in the crib, um, you know, untruths before they even take off. It's just not feasible, right? So that's that's the phase we find ourselves right now. We we see that there is this kind of um, censoring, really. Um, that it's uh, it's it's censorship that's done in the name of the truth. Mm-hmm.
it seems right now, you know, we're trying to play whack-a-mole and just uh, eliminate any untruths from the public discourse. Um, and by doing that, guess what? You're alienating further the people that are yeah. maybe putting out those statements and sometimes actually believing in those statements. So you're alienating them, you're driving them even further to the fringes. Mm -hmm. So so as a result, you're going to have more of the problem uh, to begin yeah, with. We see yeah, that, Yes, right? exactly. We're on that precipice. We are, I think we are past that precipice, actually. The actions of this so-called platform, which was, you know, the last conversation we, we had, you know, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm calling them so-called platforms because they are no longer platforms. They're not a neutral actor anymore. Um, so uh, the actions of these platforms are are counterproductive. What they're doing is already resulting in more alienation, more isol isolation, more uh, thought uh, bubbles, and uh, they're not bridging people uh, around uh, uh, together. They're, they're driving people apart. So again, the solution is not to play whack-a-mole. And to be honest, I, I am not so confident as you are in the um, ability of the society or of the uh, democracy to withstand issues like this. Um, I, I do think that where we are right now, if we just let things go, you know, and hope that they will resolve on their own, um, it won't happen. And again, it pains me to advocate for this because we, we covered this last time. Uh, for me, government should have as little as possible, you know, in the lives of people and in, in the open market uh, as it could be, honestly. Uh, I'm, I'm a libertarian at heart like that. But, but in a situation like this, I'm afraid the change has to be mandated and it won't come about by itself. So there has to be some very active and drastic measures taken from the top where these things are nipped in the bud and we we go back to a functioning uh, society. I do not have faith that things will will resolve uh, on their own. The answer is in depolarizing, uh, educating people into the political process, uh, stopping with uh, the propaganda and the demonization. Uh, and, and you know, I guarantee you, you know, I'm, this is my personal belief. So I, I you know, I, I mm -hmm. shouldn't say I guarantee you, but I, I firmly, I firmly <laughs> believe that. If we didn't have this extreme uh, messaging coming from from the Democratic Party, you know, four years ago about Trump and their administrations and this and that, I don't think we would have uh, gotten so far where we are right now. So the the the, mm. uh, the three. I don't know if I meet yeah, you there. Well, that's that's just my opinion. But that's but that's good mm -hmm. because that's why we're sure. talking. I think it fed something like you're enlightening me on. Here is what I saw. Here's what. Here's what you should have seen, Tay. And I did see it. I didn't necessarily categorize it that way, which... You didn't categorize it as such because you were po your political leanings were not on the side of that line that would have made you react as such. But other people that have different political leanings and they were closer to that line... They would interpret differently. Which is why we should test ourselves. Yes. I mean, like, that's, I'm saying that about In myself. In general, we should all And all of us. Yeah. And I also believe that the president was his own worst enemy. Thirty-four tweets a day. 
was the average by President Trump before he was banned on Twitter. Anatomy of Change is executive produced by Tay Moeller, with post-production, editing, and mixing by James Fleege. Special thanks to Romeo, TM, and AT. The original series music, titled Reborn, was composed by Adrian Berenguer. Additional music featured in this episode by Kadir Demir, The David Roy Collective, Cunningham Manor, Philip Daniel, and James Fleege. Our website, where you can listen to all episodes, music, and artists featured, and find companion content, is anatomyofchange.org. Anatomy of Change.